0: It is June 13th, it is 2018. Sunday's message was creation, revelation, and redemption. It was aimed at nothing less than each of you reaching your maximum potential as we walk in the sacrificial unity straight towards the purposes of God. Did you enjoy that? Yes. For those of you who got to experience Judges 12 with us on Monday night, which was our foundations class, I think it's fair to say that the Spirit of God is confronting the dividing work of the devil's devices, wouldn't you? It seems to me that through the love and the unity of the Spirit, we'll begin to diminish the devil's impact, we'll degrade his walls of division, we'll devastate his lies with truth, and we'll demolish his strongholds from even being among us. Does that sound like a plan to you? I hope you don't plan on sitting back tonight. I feel a little bit like I'm starting to catch my groove again. I had to travel to the other churches and I love them. They are the second best churches in the United States. But this is about to be our finest hour yet. That's saying something, our finest hour. In this church we have seen cancer healed, infertility cured, the lost liberated, and the dead literally raised. And yet... The best is yet to come. The spirit-filled fire is beginning to heat up. And God's armory is being well furnished with saints and soldiers of Jesus Christ. Whether you think of yourself as a saint or a soldier, you are the workmanship of God. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And that means he wants to do that through you, the body of his Son. The imagery of the metal worker, it's throughout the Bible. You can find it in the law, you can find it in the prophets, you can find it in the writings. When you use terms like furnace or forge or smelting pot, they or their processes are frequently referred to in the word of God. Since our topic tonight is Damascus steel, I'd like to start in the law and begin talking about furnaces and forges and smelting pots. Is that okay? Yes. Let's begin in Deuteronomy 4 in verse 20. It's a bad sign when pastor comes to the front row and he's got a double shot espresso. He's worried. When I turned to Deuteronomy, he got sleepy. You know that's not true. It's what happens when a pastor's up all night helping somebody through a problem. Say there when you're there. There. DJ, you're getting more handsome all the time, man. I appreciate that your hair grows up rather than out or down. That's, that's all right. You with us tonight, Cody? That's good, brother. We're expecting the best yet to come out of you. Deuteronomy four twenty. 20. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. When you think of a situation like this, God's inheritance comes directly out of the fires of a furnace. You need to think through that for a minute. The people that he spoke to, he never divorced them. He never replaced them. He never did away with them. He promised when he brought them out of Egypt, as ugly as you are, As motley as your crew is, as bad off and idolatrous and wicked and the least of all people you are. Watch what I'm going to make out of you. If you have ever seen somebody begin to do metal work, they start with the ugliest lump of something. You, You just can't even imagine what it's going to be. And they beat on it and they heat it. And they form it and they shape it. And it's almost mesmerizing because you can't imagine what could come out of this that could be pretty. And yet when it's done, it glorifies the master's hand. It glorifies the work of the creator. You've heard it said, be patient, God's not through with me yet. I want you to understand he declares you his inheritance and then he makes you that. That was said to Israel before it was ever said to us and you wouldn't know that it applied to you. Without having heard it said to them. They are his inheritance. And you also get to share in that inheritance. If you ever had somebody that you thought was without hope. You just remember that God, like a metal worker. Is able to pull somebody right out of the furnace of their life. Of affliction. And make something beautiful out of them. Do you want him to make something beautiful out of you? When you're thinking about it, that furnace is a process. It's Egypt's affliction, but it's relieved by God's affection. When you see hurt and when you see pain, when you see all of the world pressuring someone, that doesn't mean they're God forsaken. It just means that they're experiencing the affliction of the world in preparation for the affection of our God. you got to get metal to a certain temperature to be able to work it. Sometimes people are just not ready. Sometimes you want somebody to be saved, but they don't have a life that they want to die to yet. And so what you end up doing is trying to add Jesus to the life they already have. Friends, that's idolatrous. For people to be God's inheritance, they have to be at a place in their life where they're through with the affliction of the furnace. That's what they see it as. I out and out reject the testimony that you've loved God all of your life. Equally, I reject the testimony as not born again. I've been a pretty good old guy all of my life, but then I found Jesus. No, if you didn't get saved out of a furnace of affliction by God's affection, then I don't know what you were, but I know what you are. Unsaved. See, the life that He saves you from, you have to hate. You've got to turn on it. The Bible says that we hate what is evil, but we cling to what is good. You can find that in Romans 13. It's in hating wickedness in loving righteousness that we get the oil of joy that separates us from the rest of the world. The furnace that was Egypt's affliction made sweet the presence of God's affection. When you know that you need to be saved from something, you're excited to be saved. When you think you already have all you need, then you're offended when people tell you something's wrong with your life. God is pictured in Deuteronomy 4. He's pictured as a master metallurgist. Who knows the perfect temperature and the time for your redemption, relief and revival. If you're sitting in in affliction today, remember... The Lord might be letting your metal heat up a little bit because He wants to work something into you. He might see something that needs to come out of you, but if He doesn't heat you to the right temperature, you'll think He's stealing from you rather than healing you. Everything that is happening in your life is happening because a benevolent Father, a loving God, cares enough for you to make you into His inheritance. I heard it said before the service started that a few people had stressful days today. If you had a day that you think is above average stressful today, raise your hand. Some of you are more honest before worship than after. See, when we get saved, sometimes we forget the affliction that we came from. All of you who raised your hands, you should be encouraged. That stressing of the metal... That heating of the soul, that hatred that you begin to develop for the fallen state of man and the decay of this world, that is part of the process of making you into his inheritance. I don't want frustration more than anybody else, but it's the first thing that God added to man's lot in life to free us from sin. We see it as a punishment. It was actually preparation for redemption. Turn with me to Exodus 19. When you get to verse 18, say, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there, I'm there. Man, Pastor's fast. Yeah, I'm there, more... I'm there. Peter, I just saw you in the back. It's good to see you, brother. Yeah, I'm there, I'm there. Exodus nineteen and verse eighteen. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. God's voice here is seen as a billowing furnace with all of the intended implications. The words billowing and furnace were intended to bring to mind the workings of a blacksmith or a metal worker. This is because he shapes us with his word and he battle hardens us in his spirit. It's not just affliction that he uses to shape you. He also shapes you through the challenge of his word. When is the last time you were challenged by God's word? In your personal study, when you're reading the word, you ought not be thinking about how bad your neighbor needs it. That's for when your study is over. You ought to be looking into a mirror that is challenging everything about your existence. Showing you how to lose your life, how to die to this world and carry your cross on in self-denial towards the King of Kings. The word of God will afflict the soul of the righteous in the same way that the world is afflicting the wicked and driving them towards a need for salvation. The word compels you to higher ground. The word compels you to the master's hand. Far superior to a mere blacksmith working with metal. Our master is here seen compassionately conversing with his creation. Instructing, inspiring and instilling his character into the creature that his hands have made. Is that how you see your father? Every detail of your day. His significance is in, his weightiness is in, his glory is in, and it's for a purpose. It's to mold you and shape you into something that he finds beautiful. My wife and I have a long-standing debate about these things, and I'm ashamed to say that the more that I study the Word, the more that I find out she is right. And I wait to say something like that till she's teaching in children's church. When I leave the house during the day, and I hit my first traffic light, like, what is this demonic obstacle that is in my way? It's between me and the place God has told me to go. She sees it as God bringing divine order and meaning to my day. Like, pacing me. Why are all the men have your arms crossed right now, and the ladies are smiling? (laughs) The truth is, is our God is big enough to even use a demonic obstacle for your benefit. He didn't cause it. He is big enough, though, to make it work for your benefit. In everything that happens to you, He is able to cause it to work for the good of those that love Him and are called according to the purpose. For that reason, we ought to see Him like a master metal worker Blending alloys into our life for our strengthening, for our beautification, but ultimately for the glorification of his name. In Isaiah 48, let us get there. When you discover the 10th verse, say, I'm there. there. Ed, I'm distracted by your guns back there, man. Where does a dentist find time to work out? That's awesome. Y'all are there? In Isaiah 48 and verse 10. See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. When you read that passage in its larger context, you see in Isaiah imagery being used. The craftsman of creation uses the furnace of affliction to refine, to test. He's doing this for the greatness of his name. He's invested in the product that he brought out of Egypt. See, nobody thought apparently in the heavenly realms that Israel was worth saving. Deuteronomy calls them the least of all nations. God himself calls them a stiff-necked people. Every prophet that dealt with them found out the same thing. For this reason, centuries worth of theologians have misunderstood the plans and purposes of God. When he brought them out of Egypt, he knew exactly what they were. And being the restoring God that he is, the difference between what they were and what he will make them brings glory to his name. So he is refining them and he is refining you. He stokes souls, he fans flames and skims dross from the silver in order to preserve, promote, and propagate his own fame, the glory of his name. Are you embracing that process tonight? Or are you resenting that process tonight? Are you trying to quench that which he's trying to fan? And are you trying to fan? That which he's trying to quench. See, the potter does not have the right to look. I'm sorry, the clay does not have the right to look at the potter. And say, I don't like what you're doing with me. To come into the kingdom, he must be the master and you must be the vessel. This imagery should never be taken to redefine or disregard God's people. In fact, it is proof that the master will produce in them his masterful creation. Isn't that a great word? Masterful creation. His masterful creation. See, he is filling you with his character. He's quite literally changing your molecular structure. You can heat metal, you can excite the atoms inside of it, and then you can quench it, and they come back together tighter and stronger. He heats you up, and then he allows you to die to a vision. And then he heats you up. And then he allows it to languish until it grows cold. Then he heats it up again. Because, buddy, when you're let out of the stall, when you're released, you don't bend. You don't get a crook in your sword. You don't go dull. You go straight to the heart of the enemy and you do that which you were made to do. You're a masterful creation. You are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. What an incredible thing you. How many of you ladies, don't you dare raise your hand, but don't like your height? How many of you don't like the way the back of your arms are or think God made you with funny calves or wish you were taller or smaller or or some issue. The whole world's telling you that. When you go to a checkout and you look at a magazine next to you, the poor lady on there is probably 70 years old, but she's painted to look like she's 20 and she's been inserted with plastic, and she's been given shots with animal bacteria in it to plaster a smile on her face, and some old surgeon has pulled her skin all back tight into a knot under her ponytail so that her face has got not one wrinkle in it. The whole world is telling you you're not good enough, and the Word of God says, I am making you everything I intended you to be. Oh, come on now. He's making you masterful. He's making you full of him. He is at work in you. Yeah. Oh, that, That's such good news. It's such good news. Because if that's not true, then what purpose do you have, and why are you here? Be careful that you don't hate what he's making you in to be. Be careful. Be careful. Some artists get insulted. When you don't like what they've made. Let's go to first Kings. That'll take us right into the prophets. Is that all right? I'm not trying to bore you. Sometimes on Wednesday. You drag in here a little tired. I understand this is a church that works hard. It's a church that gets it done. We're the kind of church that does exactly what we say we're going to do. Even if it takes a decade. I'm so proud to be around people like you. You don't give up. You don't shut up. You don't let up. You don't back up. You've been forged in heaven's fires. And it shows. I want to encourage you that He is working into you what is pleasing to Him. That's what we're experiencing. It's what's happening. It's what's behind our hardships. We scarcely go to prepare for a sermon when everything doesn't break. I know what your life is like. It's very smooth on Saturday. And then Sunday when you wake up to come here... It all breaks loose. There's a thousand reasons not to be here, even if you live only a few miles from here. But you get here anyway. You're a remarkable group of people and you will reach the goal for which he designed you. First Kings 8 and verse 50. Because, I, uh, because Israel was often flawed, just like you're flawed. Listen to the way that they're praying. And forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you. You know, that's not a way that we're often taught to pray. We might as well pray, my Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come to me. We might as well pray that way. But Jews pray communally. They say, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and the come is to a nation, to an entire group of people. The Lord is not just at work in you. He's also at work in the person on your left or right. Man, that ought to give you some hope if you've been upset with them. That ought to give you some hope if you're looking at them and you don't understand what God is making. Sometimes I look at Gabriel's sideburns and I'm not sure what he's doing with that. But I have hope that God's at work in it. And for your sideburns are handsome. I just needed an example and you were front row. (laughs) And forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all of the offenses they have committed against you. And cause their conquerors to show them mercy. For they are your people. Your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace, you could get the impression that Solomon had been reading Deuteronomy. You could get the impression that from the time period of Moses to the time period of Solomon, despite the idolatry, despite the, the backsliding, despite the refusal of the word of the prophets, despite the time period of the judges, despite all of those things, they were still God's inheritance. See, he's not giving up on them, he's reworking them. And that ought to be great news for you because he's not giving up on you, he's reworking you. He's not done with you, he's still going with you. And if you don't like what you are today, tomorrow holds hope with every blow of the hammer, with every heating of the bellows. It may hurt, it may be full of pressure and intensity. But it is also producing something in you that is pleasing to the master's eye. When the nation he created was in the iron smelting furnace of affliction. They often reminded their master of their souls that he had saved them from this position. Before finding them once more back in that position. See, he found them in trouble and he saved them said, Lord, once more will you find us precious. Once more will you promise forever that we are your inheritance. And he did it again and again and again. Shame on theologians that don't believe there is promise for Israel. How can they hope that there's promise for them? If he would revoke his promises to his own people, what do you think the foreigner that you and I are, have to hope for. In Isaiah 54, we see something beautiful, something encouraging. Get to Isaiah 54 with me. In Isaiah 54, we're going to discover the 14th verse. In righteousness, you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Can I tell you that's never happened? When in Israel's history could you say they had nothing to fear? Certainly not today. They're surrounded by people who hate them and want to kill them. And every day more weak-willed cowards in this nation are turning their back on them. Starting with the pulpits. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. Is there a place in the world that's more rife with terrorism than Israel? If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame, and forges a weapon fits for for its work. He's reminding them, I'm in charge of the creation. There's a little rebellion, yes. But I'm in charge. There is people that may attack you, but it won't be for me. And I am in control of this planet. And it is I who have created the destroyer. To work havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me. Can I tell you this verse does not foresee from Isaiah's day, 720 B.C., the Gentile graft ends. This verse is written to who you would think it would be written to. Israel. It was a mystery that you also could be a servant of the Lord. That your vindication could also come from Him. But certainly it applied to Israel before us and it still applies to Israel. That has never happened and it must happen because God is able to make them His inheritance. And He's able to make you His inheritance. Have you ever been in a situation... I say that very rhetorically because I know that you have. Were you so disappointed in yourself that you're concerned God's disappointed with you? Wondering how long that will last? Not sure what the right response is? The right response is to offer him your heart and your life again, pliable in his presence. And say, I don't like what I see, Lord, will you? Will you reform me into your image? Though I keep marring the divine image of God, will you keep remaking it in me? And can I tell you, He that began the good work in you, He will bring it to completion. Amen. But that's true of the first nation that He chose in the same way that it's true of you. The only servant the reader could have envisioned was Israel. The loving Father was reminding them that no matter how many generations, giants, goats, or goats... Were needed for the lesson, they would eventually arrive at his glory. Vindication never comes at the beginning. It only rarely comes in the middle. No, it is always at the end of the process when the ugly lump of metal has received its final polish and is undeniably beautiful. That whole process is victoriously vindicating God's people by arraying them in God's glory. I'm going to show you in a little while the video and you cannot believe what this gnarly lump of bolts and screws becomes. It's so much like looking at us. Some of you, uh, you know, it's far and funny. The longer we go, the fewer of you that were around in the earliest days. But Charlie and Joe can remember when my shirts were too tight. When my nose was too high in the air. They can remember when I really loved the Lord, but I had no idea what I was talking about. God has the ability to look like a master sculptor looking at a piece of wood at what is superfluous that He wants to remove, leaving that which He intended and created to shine forth His beauty. He knows how to do that. Very often, He does it through affliction. But sometimes he does it just through speaking and teaching his word. But he is always at work. Sometimes with the polishing cloth. And sometimes with the hammer. The Lord is at work in your life. He's not given up on you. He's, he's not forgotten about your circumstances. The Psalms say he considers everything that we do. Proverbs 17.3 is a pretty important verse. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Before we get into the meat of this message. Are there things that you need him to turn up the heat? To liquefy so that you can figure out how to pour it out of your heart? Are there things rolling around in there that shouldn't be there? You know, I I can't believe the extent to which... The things that don't matter in eternity can occupy my thoughts today. You know, I'm the kind of man that you uh, can cut off an arm and uh, I can laugh and say it was a flesh wound and keep going, but you move my stapler and it's a near unforgivable offense. I don't know why I'm terribly diseased. I came from awful stock called Adam. I'm not sure where you came from, but that's where I came from. And the Lord is redeeming me and he's drawing that out of me. And all of the time I keep seeing things that I'm like, I hope nobody else saw that. It's like when you trip and fall and you, the first thing you do is look to see who saw it. And I hope nobody else saw it. Not because I'm prideful. I mean, I am prideful, but that's not why. I want to be a better representative of Jesus than that. It turns out that you do represent Jesus well, though. When he highlights an area to you that doesn't belong, can you deal with it publicly? That is a good example of Jesus. He was crucified before the whole world to show you what to do. I mean, he didn't deal with it privately. We need to be careful that we're not putting things away in private that belong in public. When something's put away in private, it's easily repeated again in private. That's a problem, don't you think? Make sure that you're going as far as you can possibly go. To make sure that God considers your actions righteous. Sometimes that will require you to admit to others your faults. Might even require you to tell your wife you're sorry. Now is the time for the testing of our hearts. Now is the the heat of attempted holiness. Say that with me the heat heat. of attempted holiness. I never forget Judah being two years old. I had Christmas presents under our Asherah tree. I had no idea. <laughs> Did I say that? I'm sorry. I had Christmas presents under a Christmas symbol in our home. And, uh, and he, he was so excited. He, he was two. He was our first, you know, and you experiment on your first one. You have no idea what you're doing and you hope nobody notices. And... Uh, and then your second one, who gets parented much better, lives in total resentment, feeling like the first one got the best, always. It's the weirdest thing ever. So all the presents are under the tree, and he's walking by those, you know, and he's like, he, he can't not notice them. And the next day we get up, and uh, one of them is, is opened. Like, uh, Judah, did you, did you open the present? like judah did you open the present like it was either you or the dog you know did you open the present it's hard to tell the truth dad it's hard he was feeling the heat of attempted holiness it's not hard to be wicked it's the most natural thing in the world that will ever come to you to be mean to somebody to give full vent to your anger to return evil for evil. It's the easiest thing in the world. The funniest thing is that they, they think that they're tough when they do those things. It's actually that they're just a, like a little paper puppet that a girl could play with. Except it's the devil playing with them. It's hard to be holy. It causes heat internally when the friction of your sinful nature is meeting the metal of the word of God. Now is the tempering of testing. To see if we will develop and hold to our testimony. Do you want a testimony? Yes. Then you must be tempered. Let us go to Daniel 3. Say there when you were there. Have I bored you thus far? No. Right now we're just covering the overview. I'm hoping to get to something that you do find interesting. Are we doing okay, Mandy? You look really pretty today. I think Mandy's got an amazing future ahead of her. I'm so excited. I know how hard the devil's worked to discourage some of you. Don't you believe it? He's a liar. If Jesus Christ called him a liar, it's okay for you to say he's a liar. He's a liar. Don't listen to it. Don't, don't, don't let him have, have... I almost said my space. That's how old I am. Uh, don't let him have space in your mind. Deuteronomy. Uh, not Deuteronomy. Daniel 3 in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I want you to know, Justin Linton, that I am capable of saying that word correctly. I just don't when I'm around you most of the time. When I tell this story with Aben Bola and Justin Linton, I always say Shadrach, Meshach and one bad Negro. But now we got two men that are with me all of the time that are shaking the very foundations of the earth and so it just the joke loses its power. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest. Somebody say strongest. Strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers. That's a great translation. (laughs) They they were apparently great grandparents. Their trousers. (laughs) Robes. I'm sorry. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into a blazing furnace. They could have just stayed out and thrown their trousers in. It would have been a fashion improvement. Can you tell I'm with family? I love y'all. I don't do this at other churches. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire. Killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three, three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Man, when you're thinking about comments on that verse. When you're trying to observe the principles that the Lord is laying down here. The fury of Nebuchadnezzar was such that the firmly tied fell into the fiery furnace. That's pretty mad. You know. Most of the time when somebody loses their temper and says something like go to hell, they don't actually want you to go there. They just said something that was really ugly. Somebody says worthless. They don't mean literally that you have no worth. They mean that you have less than they would like. His fury actually led to them being firmly tied and falling into a furnace. though. That's that's some pretty serious commitment, don't you think? That's more than a little bit angry. That's a, a pretty massive problem. It says, sevenfold heat was used on them, resulting in the death of Nebuchadnezzar's strongest soldiers. The same means of death for the soldiers was the means of refinement for the saints. Are you getting that? He took his best, and they were standing outside the furnace, and they died. Took God's lump of metal and threw it in the furnace and what came out was saints oh no man they were they were saints before they went in well not Nebuchadnezzar's eyes look at Daniel 3.26 Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego servants of the most high God come out come here what did he call them? Can you hear that in this verse? The fiery furnace refined the faithful for even Nebuchadnezzar now calls the servants of the Most High God by their right names. See, this is what affliction can do. This is what the furnace can do. They looked like ordinary men before, but when they came out of the furnace, it was clear that they were something much, much more. By the way, the verses that I left out of the story Who else was with them in the fire? One like the Son of Man. Think through that for a minute. You are not capable of being put in any affliction, whether it's the furnace of Egypt or the affliction of God's Word, that the Son of Man was not put in also. He is our older brother. He has given us a perfect example. He shows us exactly how to walk through it. He shows us what it produces when you do. You go in an ordinary man, but you come out the other side something more. Attached to Messiah. Amen? Metallurgy is not really my thing. My first mentor was a metallurgist. And even in discussing the smallest details, I would often get a degree or something incorrect. And it was met with disdain. And for that reason, I've always been a little bit awkward about metallurgy. I, um, I can stick two pieces of metal together on a mission field if I have to, but I never learned to weld well. I made it out of wood or any other thing. But in studying metalworking today, I found many beautiful things. I'm assuming that most of you don't have a forge in your backyard. So I want to take a minute to explain what some of this works like and how it acts. Having given you a minute sampling of the scriptures on the subject, if we describe the process, you'll understand what is beautiful about Damascus steel. Would you like to learn that? Let's start with a slide. This is a crucible. We're going to leave that picture there for just a second. When you're looking at it, understand that steel is an alloy. It's made of iron and carbon. It has other elements that are present in it. It has a high tensile strength but a low cost. For that reason, we have steel in our buildings, our infrastructures, our tools, our ships, our automobiles, your washing machine, and we have them in weapons. When you make steel, you have to heat it in something like a crucible. When it's in here, it's called crucible steel. In this process, you might add things to it. One of the things that you could add is cast iron or pig iron. You might add other kinds of steel. You mix it with other alloys like steel. But they also often put sand, glass, ashes, or fluxes in this crucible. And what crucible steel indicates is that it's a higher mixture than another kind of steel. When you're looking at that picture of this big pot, how hot does that have to be to get metals to melt inside of it? Well... I said that we were living in the heat of attempted holiness. Probably that's something like what Joseph was when he was in Potiphar's house. Probably this is something like what your soul experiences every time. There's the good that you know you should do. And your flesh is screaming don't do it. Or there's that which you should not do. But your flesh is screaming to do it. It's the heat of attempting holiness. But what it's doing is it is building something into you that is beautiful. One particular kind of crucible steel has been named Wootz Zeal. Somebody say Wootz? Oops. Yeah, I'm probably not even saying it right, but it's W O O T Z. Sounds like Wootz to me. Wootz steel is crucible steel, it's the same as what you're seeing there, but it's a particular one. It's pioneered. And developed in southern India. It goes all the way back to the 6th century BC. And they exported it all over the world. Having been to India 9 times. With all deference to my Indian friends. It's hard for me to imagine them as an advanced society that is exporting things all over the world. But they did. How they got it, I'm not sure. But it had many different names. And some of them were telling steel or ceric iron, but it had a very special mixture. Damascus steel comes from Wootz steel. You would take Wootz steel and put it through a process. I want to show you a slide that illustrates that process quickly. Steel is any alloy of iron and carbon or other elements. Then when you put steel in a crucible and you add other elements to it, a particular mixture was called Wootz steel. So Damascus steel is a type of steel made from Wootz steel, meaning a mixture of iron, glass, ashes, alloys, in a particular combination starting with a formula called Wootz steel. Now that you know that, we get to move on. It turns out that when you make Damascus steel, which we cannot do today. Judah, let me see your knife for just a second. They sold my son this and said it's Damascus steel. He's going to find out tonight that it's not Damascus steel, it's patterned steel. And it's beautiful. But Damascus steel is something that cannot be made today. Modern attempts to duplicate the matter have been entirely unsuccessful. There's two major reasons for it. We're not positive what the raw materials were, and the manufacturing techniques have changed. Can we say those are two pretty big differences? Damascus steel was a super plastic, but it was very hard at the same time. It was flexible, but it was tough as all get out, like Peyton. During the smelting process, they would introduce wootz steel from India and woody biomass, as well as leaves and other organic compounds used as car- carbonarizing additives. In other words, there's a mixture and we're not sure what all went in it, but some things that you would never guess went into it, like leaves. Who, when making steel, would think you would put a leaf in it? But it is that introduction of carbon and other iron rich microalloy elements that made something special. A research team in Germany in 2006 used special equipment to examine Damascus steel from 400 years ago. And the Damascus steel from 400 years ago had nanowires in it. It had carbon nanotubes in it. It had things that we were not aware of until right now. Does anybody find that interesting? The reputation of Damascus steel throughout history has given rise to what most people think are legends. For instance, it's not uncommon to read an account of a Damascus steel sword cutting through the barrel of a rifle or a hair falling on the blade of the Damascus steel and the human hair being split by the blade. For obvious reasons, many people have tried to create this near mythical metal. Recreating Damascus field is a subfield of experimental archaeology. Anybody besides Lindsay even aware that there was a subfield of archaeology trying to recreate ancient steels? I said besides Lindsay because she's definitely the smartest one in the room. That was a good chance to yell amen, Ray. (laughs) So... They're trying to reverse engineer the process because they have Damascus steel from ancient times, but we cannot reproduce it. One of those attempts is a guy named Moran. And in 1973, Moran figured out how to fold metal so that the patterns looked a little bit like Damascus steel. And everything that's sold today called Damascus steel is actually this uh, forge-welded Moran process. Now, I say that because this unique metal had properties that they can't create today. And that's, uh, that's intriguing to me. That set my Christian mind to going. I want to show you a, vid- uh, a video that illustrates the process of how they fold this steel and make something similar to Damascus Steel today, what is called Damascus Steel today. You're going to want to dim the lights. So there should be sound. We added mood music. See the unique patterns in that? This video quickly goes through a couple different kinds of metals that are tack welded together, in this case, high strength cable, and then they use a forge to weld it and they keep folding this metal until they make a knife. but his day feel like that As mesmerizing as that clip is, and we distilled it down to five minutes from over an hour. It's not the original hand-driven process. Can you imagine how tired your arm would get? One of those knives in one instance took nine hours to do with those machines. The folding was five times uh, with the machine. They have found Damascus steel with 1,000 folds in it, done by hand. The original process was lost to history. It was lost to history because of secrecy and lack of transmission. Somewhere along the way men began to guard their formula out of pride or fear. Somewhere along the way men failed to transmit that which they had achieved in their generation. This reminds me of 2 Timothy 1:13. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith And love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Moving to the second chapter in the first verse. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Saints, we have to make every effort to get God's formula, to guard it, to grow it, and to give it. Otherwise, what we gain in one generation will be lost to secrecy and lack of transmission. The kingdom power of the apostolic age is not supposed to be relegated to mythical status. People writing about it should not write about it as if they were writing about Damascus steel. You know, it's kind of a myth that it would do these things. But today, since we can't recreate it, it never existed. According to experts, the two most important elements to recovering Damascus steel are the raw elements and the manufacturing process. That's saying a lot. (laughs) Think about that. We need to start from where the first century believers started from. The Older Testament was not old to them, not at all. It was life. And it was virtually the only scripture they had because the Newer Testament was being written. Even the Newer Covenant was given to Jeremiah in the Older Testament. We have a warped sense of thinking. We are starting at the wrong end of the book and wondering why we cannot recreate the process. We don't understand what the inheritance was. We don't understand to whom it was given or what the plan was to get there. We've lost the process. Somewhere along the way, we've decided just to make some other kind of steel and call it just as good. Turn with me to 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What Scripture is He talking about? It has to be the Tanakh. He's speaking about everything that was written. He's aware He's writing Scripture. But the Scripture that He's writing is uh, the small minority when compared to what has already been written. And one doesn't replace the other. They were holding a Tanakh in their hands when they were writing the Newer Testament. What was it for? What was the Tanakh for according to 2 Timothy 3.16? And indeed it's the purpose of all scripture. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How many of those ingredients can we lose and still produce a real man of righteousness? The power of Damascus steel was lost because the original raw material was lost and the manufacturing technique was lost. Don't you let anybody talk you out of the original ingredients of the complete Word of God. If we start with what they started with, then we have a chance of ending up with what they ended up with. But if we start somewhere else, don't we endanger ourselves? Look at what verse 17 says. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. work. The first century believer was not a passive adherent. They didn't attend church to assuage their conscience or massage their ego or entertain their kids. They met to radically, completely transform their lives so that they might cause a global social revolution. And bring the kingdom of God to earth. Why did you come to church tonight? I want you to be trained in righteousness for every good work God's called you to do. Not trained to sit and listen to us speak. Not trained to learn for the sake of learning, as one of my sons mentioned. We learn for the sake of transforming us and the world around us. But to do that, we cannot lose the raw material that is the complete Word of God. We also cannot lose the manufacturing technique. That is, the making of real disciples. 2 Timothy 3.16 speaks of the raw materials. 2 Timothy 3.17 speaks of the only technique that has ever worked in history. You know, when you watch the video, the press is easier than the hammer. But the products apparently are not the same. The machinery allows us to turn out more products, but they're less precious. And ultimately, they're less powerful. See, we can't produce a sword today that cuts through a rifle barrel. We, we, we can't do it. But if ancient accounts are correct, the Damascus steel that they had did. And we can find Damascus steel today that we cannot recreate. That reminds me so much of reading the book of Acts. We read the ancient account... But they think that it's myth because they're not doing it today. Or there's another possibility. Just because you're not doing it today doesn't relegate it to myth. It just means that you're not the genuine article. I learned five things about Damascus steel that encouraged me in my faith. I think it will encourage you in your faith. Do you want to be encouraged? Five things. Not the five pillars of Islam. These are the five things that I learned about Damascus steel. Let's go to slide four. The introduction of odd elements makes all the difference. Have you ever looked around in church and you're just not sure you belong? There's not enough of you. If you're a white guy, there's not enough white guys. If you're a black guy, there's not enough black guys. If you're... A 30-year-old woman that is perfect in all of your beauty. There's not enough beautiful 30-year-olds. You feel like the odd man out. One thing I learned about Damascus steel is it's those odd ingredients that make all of the difference. You have no idea what's going to happen to those odd ingredients. Who would think a leaf could make a sword stronger? But if it's turned into carbon and worked into the metal through the heat of God's furnace, there's no telling what it might do to that sword. See, you don't have the ability to look around you and decide whether or not you fit. You fit if the master puts you here. If the master puts you here, then you fit regardless of our color, regardless of our race, regardless of our geography, regardless of whatever it is you're thinking about. Yeah. I told a Christian in a church that needs to remain nameless for a minute that her problem was that she placed her race before Christ. There is no such thing as a white Christian, a black Christian, a Mexican Christian, a Japanese Christian. There are only Christians who happen to be those things. If you're an Egyptian before you're a Christian, then you have a problem. Something's ahead of Christ. See, it is the odd element in the room that might be the secret ingredient to regaining that woots steel that Damascus steel comes from. How do you know if your uniqueness in this group, is not God's design and it makes us all better. We need to stop looking for a place of comfort and start looking for the ingredients that God has for us. It never would have occurred to me that a plant material would be included in steel and that it would its addition would allow it to be studied and they would find nanowires and carbon tubes in it. But that's exactly what happened. Let's look at Acts two forty two. Oh, it's 9 o'clock. Amen. I will hurry. Should we hurry? Acts 2.42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. You know, these Jews came from all over the world. Some of them had Greek backgrounds. Some of them had Hebraic backgrounds, but they were all Jews. They had one thing in common, but they had many things that were not the same. I want you to understand in this room, we have one thing that's in common, and we have many that are not the same. Nobody is trying to create a a cookie cutter Christian in this room. We want you to be different. We think it's in the mixture of our differences that we find something that is beautiful to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The most oddball mixture might be the thing that when heated makes all the difference in the world. So if you feel like you don't fit, wait till God's done with you. I've got two people think it's good. It's one of the things that I hear more than any other. When people come in, they ask, Hey, where are all the black folks? I said, Well, sit here for a while. Maybe there'll be more black folks when you sit here. Where are all the white folks? Where are all the, the, the Mexicans? Where are all the. Everybody wants to know. One of my favorite stories is one of my best friends in this church, when he's inviting the woman that would be his wife, said, Hey, I want so-and-so to greet her at the door. Now, why'd you do that? Scared to death that white folks would scare her off. You know, that's thinking too little of people. We need to understand something. Jesus Christ has called us to one forge. He's called us to one inheritance. I, I, I get it. I look different than some of you. That may be alarming to you. I think you're all beautiful being different in the body of christ is not wrong it's not bad and it's not something to be avoided it might be the secret mixture that makes the steel stronger elements This number two the first was odd things need to be in the fellowship i learned that from damascus steel the second one elements must be worked into each other When you're looking at this particular slide, the hammering and the folding of metal, sometimes as many as a thousand times, was a long, arduous, and painful process, but it resulted in unparalleled strength and beauty. The way Hebrews puts it, and I'll turn there to read it, in Hebrews 13, he says, May he work into you what is pleasing. Well, how does he work it in if you weren't born with it? It's Hebrews thirteen twenty through 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything for doing good. His will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. It turns out that it is not easy to get things in you that are not natural to you. See, by nature, we were enemies of God. But He is putting into us His divine character. Put that picture back up for me if you would. When this is happening to you, what is your reaction? Be honest. Somebody say it out loud. I'm worried y'all are tired. Ouch. Sometimes do you complain? Sometimes do you tell other people that you just don't get what God's doing and this is not fair? But He's making something that you just don't understand yet. That's what it is. When we're nervous and we look around people don't look like us, it's because we don't understand our actual worth. Your worth is not found in your uniformity, it's found in your conformity to Christ. When when we're being pummeled like this, and and it makes us feel worthless, it's because we don't understand what God is doing with us. He called you his inheritance. He's not beating you for the sake of beating you. He's working something into you. Now, when I thought of Damascus steel, and particularly this process, I couldn't help but think of Acts 9. In Acts 9, verse 3, as he, the he here is Paul, neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Think about this. He has got his face set like steel to go towards Damascus. But the Lord God has been pushing on him. And pressuring him. And he eventually folds him over and knocks him right to the ground. He turns up the heat of attempted holiness. He says, you go where I tell you to go. And I'm going to show you what you do when you get there. See, Acts 9 is the folding of a Christian. Paul is about to become literally Damascus steel. When he's telling his testimony in Acts 26 verse 12. One of these journeys I was going to Damascus. With the authority and the commission of the chief priest, about noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. It's like God was turning up the furnace. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying in the language of the Jews, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. He knocks him down. He stands him up. He tells him that they're going to knock him down, but he'll stand him up. That's very much like the process of taking that steel billet and putting it in a forge and hammering it together, then cutting it again into three pieces and welding it back together, putting it in the forge and hammering it again. The process that God is putting you through is working something into you. He's tempering you. To be his inheritance. Who could argue about the Damascus steel in Paul's walk? It came from continual heating and continual folding. If you've ever read 2 Corinthians 11, I'll just give you a few of the highlights from it. He worked harder, had been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times... He received a beating with rods. Three times he was beaten with rods. Five times from the Jews. Three times from everybody else. He was stoned. He was three times shipwrecked. You go on and on and on with that process. Do you know what God was doing? He was working into him the strength and the beauty to be his inheritance. How many of you have aspired? When you, when you read Paul, you were like, I want to live Like that. When you want to live like that, you have to start where he started. You have to go through what he goes through. We can't start somewhere else and arrive at the same goal. We can't ignore the things that were important to him and arrive at the same goal. You know, the reason they can't recreate Damascus steel is because they've lost everything that the men used that made it. Make sure that that's not happened to us in Christianity. Would Jesus Christ even recognize what's happening when men are buying their third jet to spread his gospel? I mean, would he even recognize it? If the first thing about Damascus steel was that odd things get worked into it. And the second thing about it was that it had to be folded The third thing that I found interesting is that it's a lost art that has to be regained. Could we show slide six? You know, this process is a slow one. In this video, you missed some of it because we distilled it greatly down, but he couldn't use the press on every piece of metal. What happened when he did is it shattered. He first had to gently tap it with a hammer. And in gently tapping it, it started to develop bonds with each other. And then he could hit it a little harder and it developed deeper bonds with each other. In fact, the more affliction that it began to endure, the more bonded it was. And then they put it in the press. You know, can I tell you, if you're the metal on the anvil, you think he's trying to kill you. And the truth is, he's just strengthening you. He's preparing you for what is to come. This is a lost art. It must be regained. We don't need better machines. We need better men. The word is still the same. And it is our techniques that are corrupting our outcome. When we think that we can take shortcuts to producing Damascus steel. And now when I say Damascus steel, I am of course speaking about you. When we think we can take shortcuts for making Damascus steel in the spirit of a Christian, it never works. You cannot... Make the starting line the finish line. And expect it to work. 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 1 says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Can you imagine that in Paul's lifetime they needed reminding? So 2,000 years later, how much reminding do you think that we need? We need to get back to the gospel of the kingdom that was being preached in the first century. Next, item 4 The mythical strength of Damascus steel is only mythical if you have not obtained it. I doubt there's a cessationist in this room. If there is, meet me afterwards. When you hear my experience, you'll no longer be a cessationist. It's only mythical when you have not experienced it. In this picture, what is happening is the steel is being quenched, annealed. So it's been heated to a very specific temperature. If you get the temperature too high, the metal bends and warps. If it's not high enough, the metal might shatter when you do this. It's a very specific temperature. And they shove this metal right into the water to cool it, which actually strengthens it. It freezes molecules in their excited state in place. It might be that we're not seeing Damascus steel and consider early Christianity almost mythical in proportion because we have quenched at the wrong time. See, if the Spirit is trying to heat you up and the Spirit is driving you towards something, if the Spirit is trying to get you to a temperature where He can create in you something supernatural, something beyond you, but you quench too early, then you'll never get the results. That God was after. Paul's prayer for us regarding this came from Ephesians 1. Could you turn to yeah Ephesians 1.18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Have you heard inheritance from the first scripture to the last scripture? See I'm speaking about Damascus steel. But I'm really speaking about your worth. And why this process is worth it. And His incomparably great power for us who believe. Who is the power for? Us who believe. You are His inheritance. If you let Him fire you properly. If you're only quenched when He quenches you. If you take the beating of the press and of the hammer and of the anvil. If you do what He's asking of you without backing away then you will experience incomparably great power. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength which He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead. See, when we don't see resurrection power, it might be because we're using other materials and different techniques. If we return to the original materials... And the original technique, we do see resurrection power. And in this church, we have literally seen the dead rise. We have seen cancer healed. We have seen babies formed. We have seen so much of what Damascus steel is in a Christian. But I don't want a trophy on the shelf that absolves us from seeing that today. The question is not, have you seen it? But why do you see it daily? Because maybe it's just the rare moment that we're rising to be what He's called us to be every day. Saints, what if we're not looking for a great moment? What if we're looking for any moment? The last thing that I wanted to share with you about Damascus steel is the beauty of the unique pattern that is without parallel. This This so moved my heart that it's the reason that I preached the whole message, and yet I think I don't have words for you. It comes from Ephesians 2.10. And in Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're His what? Workmanship. This 2011 comic book version says, uh, Handiwork. Workmanship, handiwork, new creation, there's so many different ways that it's said. When you looked at a lump of screws, you could never imagine that it could make a pattern that is so beautiful. When you look at a motorcycle chain, you could never imagine what that's going to be after the master has worked through it. When you looked at the very first pieces of five billet uh, pieces of steel, you wouldn't know that it's going to produce something so beautiful. When you're looking at your life, you don't know what it's going to produce in you yet. You are his handiwork. You are his workmanship. And the thing is, is he didn't make you to set you on a shelf. Why do you make a knife to work? That, that craftsman, I want to show you some of the knives that he made. Let's roll through those. You're kind of far away from this, but these patterns, like they're all so different. That was steel cable. The one before it was just folded metal. Keep going. That one was the motorcycle chain. How unique is that? Uh, I don't even... That was screws. Keep going. Look at that pattern. Have you seen anything as unique as that? I want you to capture something in your mind for a second while you're staring at this. He took the same amount of metal in every case. Same amount. That's what all the presses were doing, is they were ensuring the same amount. He went through the exact same process with every single one. He made the exact same tool with everyone, and yet not one of them is exactly like the other. This is what your calling is like. All of you are called. That's what He does. All of you are a tool made for His purposes, but you're as unique as the fingerprints on your hand. The way that He makes one evangelist from another is entirely different. It's the exact same process, but the result is totally unique. You know, when people do the same thing over and over and expect a different result, you usually call that... Insanity. insanity. But with God, it's just supernatural, isn't it? Do we have any more of those pictures? You can nod at me because I don't know. Okay. When you see these though, I want you to understand this is what happens when you fold into fellowship. This is what happens when you embrace this whole process. It takes odd things included. In this particular knife, what's at the very top has been turned in an entirely different direction, but it's the same substance. Do you see what happens there? That means the way that Carlos expresses it and the way that I do are different. But when the Master's done with us, it makes one beautiful picture. See, this is a church that in every way will embrace diversity because God's kingdom is. But we must be in the hand of the same Master going through the same process. There's not a different forge for different kinds. There's not even different kinds. We're all made of the same metal. Is really what it is. And He's going to make a beautiful design in us. My hope is something. My hope is that you're not looking at your life right now saying it's just whatever. Doesn't matter what follows that. Because the truth is, is you were called to be God's inheritance. Can I tell you He's worthy of an inheritance that is amazing? It's not mere it's not base, it's not normal, it's extraordinary. And maybe when I say that, you think, yeah, but that's exactly what I'm upset about, is He's worthy of that, and I'm not that. But He is making you that. That's the point. His power, His grace is at work to make you into that. It's not up to you what He makes you into, other than your willingness If you're willing, He will do the rest. Would you stand to your feet?